Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. And I think the timing of the message today is pretty interesting because of what we're doing which is a step in a direction of experiencing both generosity that we're giving and generosity that we're receiving. And I want to remind you that last week we talked about how all of us at different times have received a gift from someone that we just know that is a second or third hand gift, that someone received it last Christmas and they didn't ever use it, they left it in the box and they they re-gifted it to you. And... uh, Last week, we talked about re-gifting Jesus to the people around us. And today, I want to remind us of the Advent theme of peace because uh, the theme that we're going to talk about today is really the one I think that probably has both a way of generating joy and peace in so many different ways. And it actually captures all of the themes of hope and joy and peace and love that we'll celebrate next week. Over the last... Uh, well, for about five weeks, I told you that I was teaching a class with Centerpoint in their Equip School, a Life of Christ class. And if you remember, in the Gospels, each, each of the Gospels approaches the life of Christ, at least the beginning stages of his uh, inauguration, meaning his preparation, being born and, and being inaugurated into his ministry through the baptism. We've got Matthew and Luke who record Many of the details, of course, Luke is the most well-known because of Charlie Brown, because uh, of that famous cartoon when they read from Luke chapter 2. And then you go to Mark, and Mark is like, you know what, you know the story of Jesus' birth, so I'm going to skip it. I'm going to launch right into his ministry, and here we go, hang on for the ride. And then we have John, who decides to approach things from a very theological standpoint. And that somehow or another, he talks about how the be- in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God, and all of those kinds of things. And you're reading that and wondering, what does that have to do with the birth of Jesus? And of course, John is this theological book with lots of practical application, but it points specifically to the topic that we're going to think about this morning, and that's the topic of generosity. Regifting the generosity of God the Father through what's represented in His Son. And it's one part of John that actually retells the Christmas story probably as well, if not better, than even the birth stories. Do you know what, do you know what verse it is in John that represents the spirit of generosity? Don't put it up yet. Go ahead. I heard it. Uh-huh. John 3.60. You can put it up now. You were all thinking this. I know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Emphasis on the word gave. The ultimate act of generosity on behalf of all of us. And so the main idea of today is that generosity reflects how much we identify with and how much we trust in all that God has been generous to give us. Next week's theme is going to be worship. 
And it's interesting because if our worship is focused on Him, then our generosity increases. When our worship is focused on things and circumstances, our generosity begins to decrease. It's interesting how that proportion works. And I want to have us think this morning about how much God gives us and how much we can give Him in return as an act of our worship and specifically as an act of gratefulness. Because generosity comes out of a spirit of gratefulness. Because the Christmas story, as we know, is all about what God gave to us. And as we talked about last week, we have the opportunity to re-gift to others what Jesus has given to us by giving His life for us. We know that He gave us salvation. We know that He's given us access to the kingdom of heaven. Paul says in Romans that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's what John 3.16 is all about. But it's not the only gift that He's given to us. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the gifts, pastor, prophet, apostle, evangelist, teacher, all of those are given to, by Jesus to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. He gives us gifts. He's given all of us gifts to use for His purpose. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life. If you think about that, it's really amazing to think that He's given us everything we need out of His power to do what we need to do. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like the shifting of shadows. Given us His gifts, He's given us power, and every good and perfect gift we hold in our hands is out of His spirit of generosity. His generosity brings peace and wholeness, which is really the, the deeper meaning of peace wholeness and integration in any situation. God is for us. God is kind and He believes in us. He chooses to redeem us from sin. He's conscious of our value and worth and He sees these qualities. He sees these qualities even in the worst despicable sinner you can think of. He's able to see things differently because of His generosity. And somehow or another, we need to let that rub off on us as well. Every good gift comes from God. Your job, your spouse, your house, your family, your health. I was thinking about, you know, the Marx family were praying this week for Theo to come home from school and drive home for the very first time he drove to Orient Point, took the ferry, and got home safely. That is a gift of generosity from God. All of those little details, the gift of marriage, the gift of another birthday, all of those things represent precious gifts from God. And certainly almost all of us understand more than ever before the gift of health in this season is a gift, a precious gift that we don't want to ever take for granted. But that's the challenge because so much of our life we don't recognize that all we have is from God. That we're totally dependent on Him. And also, with that, we're really dependent on one another. God doesn't create a system of 
dependency or codependency, but he creates this system of interdependency where we realize that he's given us gifts, but he's given gifts to others that we need to receive from and benefit from. And we recognize that with all that has been gifted to us, the generosity that we learn from the Father is to not grab and hold on to the gifts as tight as we can and say, it's mine. He gave it to me. But it's a gift He gave to me that you can have some of as well. We don't hold the gifts tightly. We hold them loosely, recognizing that He may say, I want you to take the gift that's in your hand and give it to somebody else. Because it's about stewardship. It's about being trusted with the gifts so that when we are asked to give it away to others, there's this willingness that wells up within us and it comes out of an act of worship because generosity is really an act of worship. It reveals our heart in terms of whether we have a spirit of generosity or a spirit of selfishness. It's really what this whole process has been about. I mean, none of us, it doesn't matter if you've been here for 40 plus years like a few of you. It doesn't matter if you've been here for eight years. It doesn't matter if you've only been here for a year or two. We're all responsible to steward what we have. And when it comes to the church, when it comes to Crossroads Church, all we've been doing is stewarding the gift that God has given to us. Every time we put money in the offering, it's not like we put money in the offering with, with this little caveat that says, if they don't use the money like they're supposed to, I want some of it back. It's not like we send missionaries, you know, we send them money to missionaries and then when they go off and do something, God directs them a different direction. We go, wait a minute, that's not what we thought we were giving money to. We want you to send some of the money back. The thing about offering, tithes and offering and giving when it comes to the gifts that we give in money, when it comes to the gifts we give in our time, we don't give with a condition. The spirit of generosity that's represented by John 3.16 is unconditional. We recognize that none of it is really ours when it comes down to it at the end of the day. The only thing that really matters is the gifts that we end up receiving in the foundation that we're building in heaven. And we have a challenge of ingratitude that we have to fight against, don't we? Because we think we earned it and we worked for it, so it's ours and it comes from us. And I'm not... I'm not uh, suggesting that none of us worked for what we have. None of us worked hard enough and we shouldn't get to enjoy it. But what I'm saying is that we need to be careful that we continue to have a gracious attitude in what we have. Because a lack of thankfulness in the world is a direct cause of the lack of joy and the lack of peace. It's not the lack of gifts or fun things to do or nowhere to go is that we aren't thankful for what we already have. I think one of the things that this year has probably revealed for us more than anything else is when we don't get to do certain things that we're used to doing, then we look at what we have and we go, you know, this bottle of water tastes really good right now because it's the only thing I have. And I can't have all of these other things. And so we take a drink and we enjoy certain things. We enjoy relationships in ways that we probably haven't thought of in a long time. That's what happens when 
things are pared away and we're able to simplify our life and recognize what we should be most generous for. And so what this has to do with regifting is regifting generosity is about having a generous heart that validates our trust and it validates our gratefulness to a giving father. It's part of our DNA of who we are to be that represents and demonstrates that we are really related to a generous father. I mean, it goes like this. Generous person probably knows something about a generous father. Selfish person probably is distant from a generous father. And so I want you to look at a passage that Paul wrote to the churches when he was giving pastoral instruction to Timothy. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And I won't take very long to go through this, but let me read this passage for you. As for the rich in this present age, and in this present age, uh, the rich is all of us in this room. We understand that, right? We're all very rich when it comes to a comparison with the rest of the world. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul gives us instruction about our identity with our wealth. He's not saying anything against wealth. He's talking about how to handle our wealth. And first of all, he's saying don't flaunt your wealth. He's saying don't set your hopes on wealth. But that little phrase in the middle of the first verse that I read, but on God, he's saying set your hopes on God because that's the source of all of your wealth. He's the one that richly provides us for, every, for, for us everything to enjoy. And the Christian ethic is not that wealth is sin. The Christian ethic is that wealth is a very great responsibility. And probably as Christians in America, we have a larger responsibility than most anybody in the world because we really do have so much wealth to steward. So much wealth to be responsible for. So much that we're going to need to answer to God for when we stand before Him. And He says, how did you handle what I gave to you to use. So, I want you to think about this statement from William Barclay. He says, if a man's wealth ministers to nothing but his own pride and enriches no one but himself, then his wealth becomes his ruination because it has impoverished his soul. But if a man uses his wealth to bring help and comfort to others, in becoming poorer, he becomes richer. You agree with that statement? And so, as we look at this passage in Timothy, going back to these three verses, 17 and 18 and 19, first we realize that we are rich and we are charged to trust Him with our riches. Verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. When we put our hope on God the giver, we are centering our whole life in the right direction. Otherwise, it's going the wrong direction. 
And I want to give you some perspective. Anybody know what the median income is of Stony Brook? Take a guess. 75 is not high enough. Too high. Get somewhere in the middle. It's $130,000. And the median household income in most of the world, average, is $9,700. Kind of puts things in perspective when you think about it. Now, I realize, yeah, people that live in places where they make $9,700 also don't pay $15,000 a year in taxes and all those kinds of things. I get all that. But it's all, it's, it's, it, the ratios are all out of whack because we are very, very wealthy people in the bigger scheme of things. In countries, in some of the poorer third world countries like in Africa, the median income in a country like Uganda is $1,775 per year. And John 3.16 tells us that whatever we have, whether it's $1,775 a year or $130,000 a year, we look most like God when our heart is to give. Somebody has said you can never outgive God because God gave first. He gave His Son. He gave His Son to us when we were still His sworn enemy. Romans 5.18 says that even while we were yet sinners, He gave His Son to die for us. He gave His best. The nature of those who genuinely follow God is to give their first and to give their best. The second thing is Paul gives instructions to us about what to do with our wealth. It's in verse 18. They are to do good. And the word that's used there is basically, I'm commanding you with your wealth, with your riches, here's what you're supposed to do with it. First of all, do good. Be good to people. Be generous in your spirit and in your attitude towards other people. Be rich in good deeds. And it's different than just doing good because doing good is for someone else, but, but this is also about helping those who can't help themselves. Not holding it against them, but finding a way to help lift them up with what you have. And finally, it's to be generous and willing to share. And there's, there's really three areas, if you think about it, that Christmas time reminds us about in terms of generosity. One is giving to the church, but it's not the only thing. It's also giving to the community and family needs that are there. It's also giving to the poor. And then finally, the last thing that Paul describes is the generosity that's part of our, our DNA. He says in verse 19, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And this is not about what God needs, but what He wants from us. He's laid this foundation of a treasury that we have the the privilege to contribute to by both our attitudes and our actions. And this is the opportunity for us to pull on heaven's resources into earth's resources. In fact, the wording that's used in this verse is to, to say, Lord... I want you to give me as much wealth as I can handle. Everybody agree with that one? Anybody disagree with that statement? But it literally means, okay, I'm going to take a hold of it and pull it from heaven to earth. And let me have as much as I can handle and use well. And I want to say to 
everybody this morning to our church, Crossroads Church. You have used the wealth of this place as good stewards. And God's going to give you the privilege to continue to be part of using this building and the changes that are going to be made to change, uh, to provide better opportunity for ministry. But it's about stewardship. You know that over the last eight years or so, uh, this, uh, I would say, small congregation of people have given over $800,000. Now, if you didn't have a spirit of generosity, you'd hear that number and go, whoa, I'd like some of that back, please. And I want to be careful how I say this. I'm going to have to be a little bit vague in my illustration. But let me give you an example of the difference between being on the receiving end of generosity and on the receiving end of greediness when it comes to spirit. And you tell me which one you want to have. When we were in a meeting, this is where I'm going to try to be vague. When we were in a meeting discussing the future of our church and partnering with the Christian Missionary Alliance and with Centerpoint and so on, when we were in a meeting and being accused of being uh, selfish, being accused of being uh, promise breakers, and then when we were being asked to give an extraordinary amount of money, someone stood up and said, this is nothing but greediness. And you know, when you're on the receiving end of a greedy spirit, it doesn't feel good. It felt awful. I remember sitting in that meeting just with this pain in the pit of my stomach. I was sick to my stomach over the, the, just the attitude that was in the atmosphere. Because I, was, I felt like I was straddling two worlds. And that was, I'm sitting in that meeting, and then I'm, I'm thinking of your faces, and I can picture you and know how much you've given over these last several years. Both in you know, real dollars and in time and energy and sweat equity and all those things. And everybody has had a part of this process. And I just felt so awful in that meeting. The other day, I called up someone that runs an organization that has helped us with uh, our bookkeeping processes. We pay them a certain fee every month, but it's a very small amount because their organization gives discounts to smaller churches like ours. And so I called up Jim Lankheat, the principal owner of the organization called Coram Deo, and I called him to tell him that we're not going to need their services anymore after the, after the first of the year, after January. And his, his response to me was on the other side of the spectrum. His response was, well, you know, Doyle, we hate to lose you, but we know that what you guys are doing is about the kingdom of God, and we couldn't be more excited for you. And so we want to bless you as you go, and if you ever need anything, you always know you can give me a call. Now, you tell me how I felt at the end of that call in contrast to the other meeting. And you all know what it's like when you receive the generosity of someone else versus the greediness of someone. You know, I mean, I, I'm looking out here at John. I think about 
It's the same thing, John, you experience when you read a review on, is it Yelp? You know, if someone, yeah, I mean, you've got a whole bunch of different reviews out there, but if someone is very gracious and generous in their praise of what the restaurant represents, that feels way different than when you get that one-star criticism of this, that, and everything was wrong. What a difference in how it feels. Because we all know how hard we work at something. It's the same, you know, you experience that as parents. When you're experiencing the difference between a kid that's uh, generous and grateful and a kid that is selfish and demanding. What a difference it makes. And I was sharing with a worship team earlier, it's really like when, when the kids are really little and when kids are teenagers. When you watch your kids be generous with their siblings, it's like, wow, that's amazing. And it's especially true when they're really little and when they're teenagers because you don't expect it. But when they do it, it's, it's, it's so unexpected and you're so grateful that they're finally dem- demonstrating some kind of a generous attitude towards their brothers and sisters instead of a selfish attitude. And so, in a little bit, we're going to vote today, and our vote today is about God's generosity to us and our generosity with what He has given to us. And so, I want to have Amy put a passage on the screen and just have you follow along, and I want you to pay attention. So I count them real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There are twelve different times there's some form of the word gave or give in this prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And here he goes. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And then towards the end of the prayer, he says, The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. In them, I in them and you in me, that they may, be, may, may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me from the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and, those, and these know that you have sent me. 
I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. In other words, I will continue to give them your love. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The Father gave us to the Son. And aren't you grateful this morning that the Son stewarded his responsibility very well? And that as he was given the precious gift of each one of us, he went to the cross, suffered and bled and died for each of our sake so that he could present us back to the Father and say, Father, here's the ones you gave me. Now they're redeemed. And the Father says, well done, my beloved Son. He's done that for each of us. And really, in what we're doing today, in a few minutes with the vote that we're going to take, it, if it's not about that, what else is it about? It's really all about giving to the Father what he's given to us and saying, Father, here it is. Help us to use it wisely. And if you would be willing to give us more, we will continue to use it wisely for you. So if you'd bow your heads with me, I want to pray. I'm going to pray for the rest of our time this morning and pray that you would all have a continued increase of a spirit of giving and generosity in your hearts as you have done so well in these past months and years. So Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. And Jesus, we thank you for being such an amazing steward of the gift that the Father gave, gave you in giving him us. Somehow, I don't understand it completely, but somehow, in a most amazing way, you thought of each one of us. You've known us from our mother's womb perfectly. And you thought of each one of us when you gave us to your son. And Jesus, we just thank you this morning for stewarding your responsibility so well that we are able to enjoy this generous relationship we have with the Father. We're grateful for that this morning. We give you thanksgiving and praise. So let me close this time with uh, this blessing for all of us. So if you'd hold out your hands, I think this is a great passage for this day. Just receive this blessing. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will and being generous, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen.